Hello and welcome to Become an Educator, the podcast that aims to explore the secrets to great teaching in our classrooms. I'm Darren Leslie, and each week I discuss things that will hopefully make an impact in your school, with guests from classroom teachers to head teachers and everyone in between and beyond in the education sector. Hello and welcome back to Becoming Educated. Thank you so much for continuing to be a listener of Becoming Educated. I'm really delighted that I continue to help so many teachers. This week, my guest is Nikki Cunningham-Smith. Nikki has experience as an assistant head teacher, a SENCO, which is a special educational needs coordinator for those of us in Scotland, and centre lead in a pupil referral unit. Nikki coaches teachers to support them with behaviour management in the classroom and writes a behaviour blog for TES. She's also the author of a book that we will explore today, which is called Feel Free to Smile. And we unpick that throughout the episode today. I begin the episode with Nikki by asking her a little bit about herself and her career in education. She poses a really interesting challenge. Should all teachers begin their career as a teaching assistant and see it from the other side. Really interesting to, to discuss that with Nikki. We then explore Let's, free to, Let's Feel Free to Smile and the book kicks off exploring why bad behaviour is causing teachers to quit and Nikki gives her thoughts on why bad behaviour is causing so many teachers to leave the profession. Then we explore the main thesis of the book why it's important for teachers to have a behaviour management playbook taken from Nikki's experience working in basketball and netball. Then we explore strategies and plays for the playbook that we could use in certain scenarios. We often lose control of a class and certainly when I was a young teacher I lost control of a few and I asked Nikki what strategies we can use to regain control of the class. We then discuss embarrassing moments let's be honest they've all happened in the class and what plays we should use from the playbook to recover us from that embarrassing moment we then discuss a, a very fascinating to- to- topic on this idea of what happens when a student will try to outsmart us and Nikki shares how we should always leave our ego at the ego at the door and remain calm to gain control of the situation we then discuss this nervy topic of observations they can be intense nervous, uncomfortable experiences for all teachers and especially early career teachers. So what plays in the playbook does Nikki offer for us to employ to master this situation? And also we then go on to um, what happens if, for example, we've planned a brilliant lesson, we've all done it, we've all been there, we've all planned a brilliant lesson thinking it's going to be amazing, but then the students enter the room and boom, it all goes wrong. So how do we handle that situation? Then we unpick the idea of rewards and sanctions. Some sort of rewards and sanctions are used in every school. So what place for the playbook can Nikki give us to make these meaningful and useful when managing behaviour? And we, and we close off the podcast with a really interesting topic on this myth that ladies can manage behaviour as well as men and what the research says. And, and Nikki and I have a really interesting discussion on that and what impact that can have on females in the classroom. And we finally, we close off with discussing how important it is that we learn to laugh at ourselves. And there certainly is a few laughs in this episode. 
Before we dive in, can I please remind you that if you like what I do with Becoming Educated and want to continue supporting the podcast, you can buy me a coffee at buymeacoffee.com forward slash DN Leslie. Thank you so much if you go ahead and do that. I really, really appreciate it. So without further ado, let's dive into this week's episode with Nikki Cunningham-Smith. Couldn't do it, certainly could you? you couldn't sneak a recording. Like, so no, okay, couldn't sneak it. <laughs> brilliant, brilliant start. Well, Nikki, thank you so much for coming on to Becoming Educated. How are you today? I'm great. Thanks for having me. It's nice to remember education whilst I'm on my maternity leave at the moment. <laughs> no, certainly. Well, you've recently had a, a book out, and we're going to explore that book a little bit there. And it's called Feel Free to Smile The Behavior Management Survival Guide for new teachers and we're going to explore that a little bit today but before we do that let's ease us ease us in a little bit gently can you share a little bit about you and your career in education to date please yeah so I uh, started as a teaching assistant and anyone that's probably heard me talk or hear me say that I feel like every teacher should be a teaching assistant uh, there is no better um indoctrination into the education system then going from class to class seeing what everyone else does and seeing how kids behave for different teachers and things like that um so yeah that was uh gosh maybe 12 years ago uh and then after a year or two of doing it, I was like actually I'd quite like to be a teacher so trained to be an IT and business studies teacher um became a head of house in my NQT year then moved schools became a Senko and um those were in kind of inner city schools rural schools and currently I work in a pupil referral unit um, in leadership looking at uh, basically the prevention of permanent exclusions that is my my role is even if they come to work with me I I kind of my job is to make myself redundant if that makes sense Mm -hmm. like that's how I see it I want to empower schools in such a way that they don't need my services because they are not feeling the need to permanently exclude their children um so helping putting processes in place and supporting fire those schools and with the local authority as well so yeah it's been quite I used to think it was a rapid journey but actually I think I have now I say it's been maybe 12 years actually maybe I have been in teaching a bit longer than (laughs) <laughs> I thought I was like, yeah, I'm still new to teaching. No, you're not. It's been over a decade. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's been over a decade. You've definitely, definitely earned your stripes. <clears throat> just for the listeners, I've got a lot of Scottish listeners, Nikki. Um, can you explain what a SENCO is, please? Yeah, so it's a special educational needs coordinator. So or in some schools, they're called AENs, uh, additional educational needs coordinators um so i'm basically do you have education health and care plans or are you still statements uh, we've got a, we uh, have yeah. a department of asn so additional support needs so, ah, so yeah probably similar just different titles yeah uh, you know teaching we love an acronym um <laughs> you know <laughs> i work with a school in dublin at the moment and it's it's brilliant because i'm like oh more acronyms excellent I've got to figure out yours um so yeah so I've always been very heavily interested in additional needs in behavior uh my my first job title in the school was behavior specialist which 
now I look back and laugh quite a lot at because I was a I say I was a teaching assistant and basically I could work really well with these children and I was I started in the school as a um agency staff out of university and they kind of created this role and I remember telling people oh yeah I'm I'm a behavior specialist I really want to slap that person (laughs) (laughs) if I saw 22 year old me you know walking around the school to teach then yes so I'm a in-house behavior specialist I probably yeah I I I forgot that was my title actually that's made me laugh I don't think I, I would never put that on my title now and I'm probably closer to it now than I ever was back then because I I don't think you can be the expert on behavior because it's so it's fast evolving changing and from someone who's as I said I've worked academies local authority inner city rural pupil referral unit they're all so different that when I and as different capacities as like a, a department lead as a pastoral lead as a assistant head they're all so different in the capacities that you can't you can't ever be a, a total specialist I don't think um you can just keep getting experiences and growing from those experiences and so that's how I would I would say I would see it now rather than oh God, I can't believe I was a bit I'm laughing I totally forgot about that. no definitely definitely it's amazing <laughs> when we think back how much we, we thought we know but as time goes by and the more experience we get we realise that it's all things, and it's great what you mentioned there about all about experiences. I love what you mentioned there about a teaching assistant, and every teacher should probably be a teaching assistant first. That's so what a, what a great grounding in, in in education into the lives of the the students as they go around the school as well, and you're as you're supporting them. So what a wonderful insight that would give us. So honestly, I have to say, of everything, every training, every CPD, every level seven postgraduate qualification, all those, and I've got quite a few things under my belt now. Being a teaching assistant on the level, because sometimes, sometimes teachers forget you're there as well as a teaching assistant, which is uh, yeah. Um I won't say too much because I'm probably identifiable of which <laughs> one looking at at the time. Um, but, you know, I remember thinking, which it was just kind of led this passion. I remember working with this lad. I was one-to-one with him. And I remember just seeing the difference in him from lesson to lesson, from different times of the day, from how I could tell if someone had read his support plan. I could tell if someone hadn't read his support plan. I could tell if someone had engaged with him and got rapport with him. I could tell, you know, he loved Man United. And if you just mentioned it once at some point, he was like putting your hands. And it just, and I'm not even talking about a whole lesson based on Man United. It would be something as simple as, uh, this is red, just like the Man United top. Or did you see the get like something so minuscule and he was theirs. And I think, just being able to sit, because obviously as a teaching assistant, especially back then, you maybe weren't planning or doing quite so much. You were able to just be the, with the child and facilitate the teacher. So I got to just sit there sometimes and really absorb excellent practice, excellent best practice. And the reason I say that I feel like every teacher should be a teaching assistant is when I did my PGCE, you did kind of... Um, follow teachers uh, or, or go and uh, what do they call it people pursuits you'd go and watch your people throughout the day but it was such a small snapshot 
And I remember doing my pupil pursuit going, gosh, this is just so like, you know, or I really wish I could see more of this teacher, but I've got to go off and do my own thing now. And, and I think that a lot of who I've been today was to be able to absorb mm-hmm. best practice, but not in a, you know, in a, an unpressured environment so that's that's why I'm such a you know treat your TAs good teach you know treat them so so well because I remember my paycheck as well as a teaching assistant <laughs> no certainly certainly they're probably not, <laughs> they're probably not paid as, as well as they perhaps should be given the the job of interesting getting to absorb after go, moving into teaching getting to absorb all the the teaching practices that you want to take with you so that's fantastic what a wonderful wonderful start to the to the podcast Nikki so we're now going to um become we're now going to try and feel free to smile so let's dig into that and and it starts off talking about bad behavior so so why is bad behavior causing teachers to leave the profession I think whenever anyone gets into teaching I think it can be maybe for two reasons uh to pass on knowledge or to work with young people and and a combination of both so I do think sometimes that if you are in an environment where you are struggling to pass on knowledge um because maybe that you know you are so passionate about your subject and you just want to share it with the next generation I think that's a really frustrating scenario to be in and that the only thing that really prevents you from passing on your knowledge is if there is disruption to what you want to deliver and that comes from poor behavior and so if you are spending a lot of time and you know teachers are notorious for spending their personal time planning and marking and preparing and if you're spending the majority of your life absorbed by your work and then you can't even get out what you you know have spent that time for it's demoralizing it's it's not fun it's not you know because I know that it's such a sacrifice sometimes being a teacher it's not putting us on a pedestal but you know it's very I've got friends that don't work in teaching and on a Thursday night they're like yeah we're going out tonight I'm like what excuse me (laughs) sorry you and I will annihilate me if I go out tonight no it's not happening and you know I do think that because it's a career that can consume us so much that if you give everything and then you go and teach and you know that one child has destroyed your lesson I've seen people feel broken look broken and you know as much as I've written articles kind of saying you know don't take it personally it's really hard because Mm. teaching is a very personal career you don't always know what's going on in a child's life that morning that they have no problem with maybe saying something not very nice to you that you'll carry with you for the rest of the day because sometimes we forget that we are actually human um working with from very young ages to like you know young adults working with human beings that maybe haven't got the skills yet because that's our job to be able to function in a way that we would want them to or to be able to you know just think of us as adults have you been in a situation where you snapped at someone and you you're like that I shouldn't have done that and we're adults and we're able to assess and, and, and you know, maybe apologise or do something to balance it out. Whereas we might work with children that if they get something wrong, they'll double down and carry on because they're embarrassed by their behaviour. So, you know, the short of 
you know, why is bad behavior making teachers quit? I think it's because sometimes they go, why am I putting in so much to not get so much back? And I do think there's a stigma attached to if you say you're finding something tricky, I feel like there's this weird thing that we're meant to be perfect, get it right. You know, we haven't got time for people to get it wrong. If you're getting it wrong, you're causing a dog leg. You're the one that's making making people not um, get the qualifications. You're the problem in the department. You're the reason why there's not bumps. And it's, it's such a high pressure situation that unfortunately, and you know, in that classroom, you're usually the only one in there. So I feel like if you're in an office and there's six of you and something's gone a bit wrong, maybe two people might notice and go, oh, I'll cover for you. Go and get a cup of tea. If you mess up in the classroom, your reward or, you know, unless someone comes through your classroom door, you could go a whole day really having struggled or, you know, you're, you're, you're what re- the 30 kids might leave or and they're replaced with another 30 or if you're in primary you've got to stay with the person that's really i don't say hurt you all day i mean what situation is that really if you're in office and something bad happened and you weren't happy with it you could go yeah i'm not not i'm gonna sit over there no you've got to so i think that's it's such a pressure pot situation a lot of the times and i think that's I think that's why sometimes bad behavior does cause teachers to go life's too short. And that's, that's hard to say, but I think that's what it is. No, certainly. I love you mentioned that, how teaching can be so personal and, and it, you're right. We're, we're not trapped, but we're in a room with a, with 30 young people and then they leave and another 30 come in, they leave and another 30 could be teaching, you know, six out of six with uh, marking through your lunch and all of a sudden you've not interacted with another adult and it can be, can be, a, it's a very interesting, interesting job. I'd love, to, I'll say to my friends who aren't teachers, I'd love them just to try it for, for a week, just to see what it's like. <laughs> I don't, I, I just remember a, a friend who was like, oh, I don't really fit, so I'm just going to put my headphones in and just sit in the corner of the, the office and just crack on. I was like, sorry, put your headphones in. What? <laughs> And I, and I I guess if you've gone into teaching from university, you're very much institutionalized because you haven't really experienced anything else because you went through school, you went to university, then you went back to school. Um, uh, Even though I've had Saturday jobs, I've only ever been in education. So when she said this to me, it blew my mind. And I remember visiting my sister-in-law's work once and she was like, oh yeah, come in, we're just going to have some beers. I'm like, what? (laughs) <laughs> it's two o'clock on a Wednesday. What do you mean you're gonna have some beers? What do you mean it's German breakfast day? What 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 is this? And I just my mind, you know, as opposed to us, you know, I'm pretty sure if period four on a Wednesday I rocked up and took out San Miguel, we're gonna have some issues. I'm probably gonna get struck off very quickly. Yet, you know, the parallels of <laughs> Although, I don't see a sidebar, back in the day, did your teachers used to go to the pub at lunchtime? Because mine did on a Friday. <laughs> I, I had one or two. I had one or two, yeah, certainly. <laughs> I, had one that, I had one that was notorious, would go and take his dog to the pub on a lunchtime and then come back for <laughs> to, to teach some more. We, we had one who would come back on a Friday smelling of cigarettes and, and beer and if he didn't come back on time, we'd cover for him because we didn't want our head of year to like teach us. So we were like, 
Oh, I nearly said his name then. I'm not going to say his name. We were like, oh, don't worry. We'll, we'll, and it was brilliant. That was in year nine. That's, that's not, that sounds like a sixth form story, doesn't it? That was year nine. <laughs> <laughs> he used to pop out to the lesson to have a smoke halfway through the lesson. God, can you imagine that now? This is... <laughs> the class was next to the staff room. Indoor smoking. That is showing my age a bit, actually. Anyway, sorry. I mean, <laughs> no. I'm so good at behaviour because I knew how to dodge it when I was at school. I knew how to. <laughs> I, I, I don't make any. I don't pretend that I was the perfect pupil either, um, at all. Which is probably why I'm so into behaviour because I'm like, why could Doctor Wormley get so much out of me? Uh, and I push back a lot against him, and yet I went a different teacher got nothing right and that that is psychology i'm very interested in psychology it's the psychology of it all but yeah sorry i'm just just thinking about this my my uh my own education what can you imagine being a teacher back then it would have been a laugh i reckon i don't know if you if you've you've ever watched the the tv program teachers Teachers. oh my gosh it is my favorite i feel like i was sold a pipe dream when i went into teachers. Yeah. i thought i was gonna be out in the pub every night having to... <laughs> <laughs> putting, putting, a, putting a sheep in someone's classroom just for bants yeah. oh. they, painted a, they painted a picture that just didn't exist did it? well i think it did i think it did <laughs> i think they told the world what was happening and the world went no, no. i think whoever wrote that messed it up for teachers because then they went no, I don't feel that's that's highly inappropriate safeguarding anyone. No, <laughs> certainly, certainly. We'll blame we'll blame Andrew Lincoln for a lot. Oh, so good though. It went downhill when he left, so well, he must be him. One hundred percent. Let's get back to it. Um, so <laughs> we've explored the te- bad behaviour causing teachers to quit, but let's go through um, some of the some of the stories and anecdotes and, and behaviour management strategies through the book. And, and throughout the book, you talk about having a, a playbook or plays for your playbook. So can I ask you, why is it important for teachers to have a behaviour management playbook? So um, I coach basketball and netball and and I quite like the film The Waterboy. <laughs> and I when when you coach, you often don't have time to think. You need to have you need to be in a situation where you know the play. You know, you can't always make stuff up on the spot. And in terms of knowing that play as well, you need your team to know that play. You need the kids that you, the, the, the people you're coaching to know that play. And I often think that what we don't always realise as teachers is the ones that are very good at behaviour management have a playbook, probably without even realising they do. They have a toolkit, they have an arsenal, they have things to go to. So they know that if someone's shouting out, they probably have four different ways to deal with someone who's shouting out um, in the sense of things that they've seen elsewhere, things that they've learned themselves. But they know that if the first thing doesn't work, that they've got some others to go to. As kind of early career teachers, maybe people don't know that and they maybe only know one thing to do. And when that one thing doesn't work, they probably think that they've absolutely messed it up and they're a failure. And it's like, no, that's not the case. You can't see the amount of experience and knowledge goes into being able to quickly deal with a situation, quickly shut a situation down, move on fast or doing things like that. 
But whilst you're in your early stages, you might not remember or think of those different things. So if you come out of a lesson, and this is where it's so important to be a very reflective practitioner, if you come out of a lesson and go, oh, do you know what? So-and-so um, really, act up, really acted up today. Um, why did he act up? In hindsight, that work was too easy, too hard. Or he was sat here, the light, blah, blah, blah. Okay, what can I do differently? Or, oh my gosh, so and so acted up today and I did this and that worked. Let me write it down. Let me make a note of that because I might not remember that next time. Because when you're in those situations, sometimes your mind does go blank sometimes. So you need to be able to go, what? Okay, here's the issue. X, Y, Z is late. What's the play today? How am I going to deal with this? Because they might always be late. It might be the fifth time you've dealt with it and actually you've said the same thing and it's not working. What's, what's the go-to? Are you going to derail your whole lesson? Is that what you do? Or are you going to pick out this? You know, So it's just kind of that concept of <clears throat> it becomes, it will become muscle memory if you make it a real clear thing for you to be like, okay, this happened today. I might use this. Or I'm going to ask someone what they would have done. I'm going to make notes of them. I'm going to try this. So then before you know it, rather than maybe get into a decade and having those things before you know it you're really because I believe it's training and this could be my background this could could be because I play a lot of sport I believe that a lot of behavior management is coaching and training and repetition and um, the muscle memory of the pupils you're working with so um, I'm a big fan of using music for certain situations so to me in September, I'll work really hard. When I play this music, this means this. When I do this, this means this. And if you came to observe a lesson of mine, it wouldn't be helpful for your behavior management because you'd be like, oh, she puts on this type of music and they just stop talking. That's amazing. I'll do that. No, there's a lot more that goes with it. I will have spent time in the September or the time going, when you hear this, this is what happens. I want you to stop talking. I want the pen to go on the table. I want five, four, three, two, one. And coaching, coaching, coaching for a period of time so that in April, when I then just put the music on, you'll see these like stop talking, look forward. This is what she wants. But that comes from the coaching element of it. So um yeah, that that's kind of where that essence of the more you do it, the more you kind of understand it. But if you don't, then you can just, and you can just note, look, oh, I'm in the middle of a lesson. I don't know. I'm losing the lesson. Oh, I'm just going to, oh, yeah, I'll do that. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of from there, really. Definitely. <clears throat> Excuse me. Definitely, but we need that, all that plays. It's, it's interesting. You know a couple of bits about kind of being reflective and through experience, you can then gather more. And it's very important there that you know if you're observing someone and see something happen in, in April always remember that the graph that went into that exact yeah. thing happening in September, a great thing. So um, we often uh, lose control of our class. And, and I remember when I, when I was uh, in my early stages of my career, I would, I would lose control of one or two. And I would ask more experienced colleagues um, for strategies to help with this, to build up my own playbook. So, so what strategies do you use to regain control of the class and how important are what you call behaviour learning opportunities? I think it's so important that if you lose control of the class that you have um, things in place to try and uh, recall. So um, uh, 
what that was it one man is dog you it's recall isn't it where when you've everything's gone out of control you send some cows something out to bring those sheep back and so not that i'm calling kids sheep that's just an example <laughs> these are all sheep no um so those kind of behavior learning opportunities are looking at things such as what do you have in place um to pick pick out of the sky it doesn't necessarily need to link to very specific to the lesson it could just be to the subject that can refocus um that can get them so um, not quite a learning one, but one thing that I always love to do when everything's gone, because it does happen, if things have gone really out there, I will do a quick thing that is like um, they face each other and they click, clap and stamp and they they count one, two, three alternately and then replace a click with a, cl- with, uh, a one with a click, a two with a clap and a stamp. And it just gets them focused and thinking and I have done that when I've had to teach history lessons. I've done that in a business studies lesson, IT, PSHE. It sounds like I keep losing control of the class. I don't, <laughs> but it's it's something that um, it's an opportunity for them to learn how to regulate themselves. Mm-hmm. And when they've kind of done it, I go, right, we need to come back to this level of focus. And it's crazy how they've kind of gone straight back on it or even using something like, a countdown conundrum you know it's all going a bit crazy in the class for whatever reason again it sounds like my classes are unruly they're actually ironically not but sometimes I do stuff like this just especially key stage three and sometimes when I've had some of the littler ones um these are great ways to kind of get their attention spans back so you know the music just comes on of the you know the 30 second countdown so if it's all going a bit weird and they can hear it and all of a sudden there's something on the board and there's there's jumbled up letters to what something to do with the lesson objective maybe and all of a sudden this you know it only takes one or two to focus on it for others to kind of start turning around start looking start thinking start and they're trying to and then they really want to get it and then like you know it might be something I've and they're back in the room you can focus on the next task that's 30 seconds Mm. to regain their interest that's 30 seconds of having maybe on my laptop something in the background and whatever it is I can then maybe start talking to them about what it was so that they don't even realize that I've regained them and then when I finish talking I'll be I'll probably say to them and just so you know if we get like that again it is going to have a consequence that behavior so let's keep it on track just to kind of seal that I, I am aware you've been off off kilter I'm not happy with that but we're focused now don't be surprised that if you go back to there, it may not be something quite so fun mm. to regain your attention. So I do believe that there's so many ways to look at your curriculum to use it to your advantage for when those moments do happen. I love how you immediately went that you refocused them, but then that bit of, you know, I'm, I'm watching, I'm listening. I, I, yeah. Cause, Cause I think sometimes it's a lost opportunity. If you've, if you've got them back and you're glad you've got them back, but then you carry on that's when actually, it, and I've seen this when I've observed lessons, you're like, yeah, great, but you kept losing them because it's like, <laughs> it's ironic that I've written this book. So I've got a toddler who, if she read this book, she'd be like, shut up, mom, you don't do any of this. <laughs> you, you've zero, zero capabilities of doing this with me. And I know I've I've gone, you know, uh, if you, you're going to have to, you'll have to, I'll take that toy off you if you carry on. <laughs> 
I mean, no intention of taking the toy off her because then that's making my life harder. But when she does calm down or whatever, because um, there's no real consequence at that stage to what she's doing, she's like, well, I'm probably going to do it again, let's be honest. So there's that concept of you've got to really close that loop of, okay, it's gone a bit, it's gone a bit crazy. You didn't like that. You brought them back around. Fantastic. Don't do it again. I'm very aware of what you've done. Don't do it again. I think that's the bit that is sometimes lost with our strategies because there's such a relief to be like okay I can carry on with the lesson but then it can also go too far the other way where it's like I have told you you know and and they're like well I don't I don't really want to perform for this person because they've made me feel not great so it's a really fine balance I think but you I do believe you have to let them know that you're not a walkover and that you do know what's going on even if you are I'm quite a smiley teacher, but, you know, I think that any kid I've ever worked with has said, you don't mess with Miss CS because it's like, I'm really, really friendly and really smiley, but then I'm not. So it's, <laughs> it's like, you know, let's stay on the right side of, you know, this person, because if you don't, I'm not afraid to be stern and, and, and put my boundaries out there, but that doesn't stop me loving what I do and smiling for you but let's keep it on the right side of it. And I think that's what we're, I'm kind of trying to get out there, that you can have a personality when you're teaching, as long as when it's important, you're able to go, and that that's the line. That's where I want you to, to be at. And if you're not there, that's not okay. There will be consequences for those for those actions. No, certainly. And use that, I like what you did there, about using the opportunities to, to help them learn about behaviour and, and know where your line is. I love that. Thank you. Um. In chapter three, you, you share a tale of, of how you handled a potentially embarrassing moment, and your book is full of, of some of these wonderful anecdotes from, from your own career. Um, what plays for the playbook do you suggest that can help us recover from an embarrassing moment that no doubt will happen in our career? I think the one thing I have to say is ownership of that moment. Um, <laughs> because, and I, I am a secondary teacher, I have worked through the key stages, but um, I think if you massively ignore it, it kind of leaves it. I guess it's about closing that loop again, isn't it? It leaves it open to, and I, I guess you as a PE teacher, you must have been in situations where you maybe have done something and you've got a class that just won't let it go because they all bounce off each other. They're just, this is the most hilarious thing that's ever happened, especially especially if they're lads of a certain age unfortunately they can they can be like you know so um it's that ability to kind of maybe you're the adult in the room and something embarrassing has happened but you can't lash out at the class and like ah quiet silence because because you're embarrassed you you know you kind of almost need to own what's gone on and be like okay that's not ideal um so I think if you what you'll probably find with kids is is they are as embarrassed about what's happened to you Mm -hmm. if not more so because they are in the real the real shame stage of life where everything's so embarrassing and so you know it might make them feel more comfortable because they can they don't have to think focus and think about it the whole time because it's been acknowledged the awkward laughs happened and you've moved on. I think that's the the one thing that, you know, I've done something before where it was very embarrassing. And at Christmas, I put it in the quiz and it was really funny. It was really humanizing because that's, you know, 
we don't live under our desks was totally <laughs> humanizing and you know th- this was actually a really tough class that I had and I feel like that was a real game changer moment this because even though I've ha- had to be stern with them for such a long period of time because they weren't getting it in that human moment they were so on side and so on board that they felt oh I can you know it, we have to remember that our pupils I know we're getting to a place where a lot of schools are going towards zero tolerance and things like that and yeah you know that's maybe where the world is going um but we need to we're working with young children young adults and we spend such a crazy amount of time with them that we need to teach them that it's okay when things go wrong as well we need to model for them that you know because I don't want a girl to be embarrassed because something's happened and then lash out at someone else to cover it and then that ricochet causes months of drama because they're upset and you bring it back oh they laughed at me when this happened you know I want them to be able to go yeah that was that wasn't great um let's move on and I want their peers to be able to go yeah that that wasn't great I'll support you in moving on so I think that's the main thing from you know, just owning it and <laughs> and then going into staff and going, you're not going to believe what just happened to me. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, it's important what you say about the about the kind of the human touch of of a uh, of the teaching. I spoke with um, Dan Edwards about that as well previously, and I think that's important about owning it and, and sharing it with them and, and realizing that we are humans as, as much as they. I love that bit. We don't sleep under our desks, although I think some children genuinely believe that we do. Oh, be a Z-list celebrity. Live near your school. Nothing, <laughs> nothing will freak a kid out more than seeing you in Asda. <laughs> <laughs> they have to eat. <laughs> uh, I'm, yes, yes. They'll stalk you as well. I've, <laughs> I've been in many a Saturday stalking situation. I'm like, oh my God, I see you all week. Can you just leave me alone? I, I really need to buy something. I don't want you to watch me buying. <laughs> you can't see me going there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Thank you, thank you, thank you so much for sharing that. And another another thing that's quite interesting and, and fascinating, you you talk about when our students outsmart us, which of course will happen. There's going to be children that um, come into school with with levels of intelligence that surpass um, some of us. Um, <laughs> so how do we remain calm and, and gain control of these situations when students do outsmart us in the lessons? I I absolutely again think it comes down to being human you know um I don't know everything don't tell my daughters I I don't know everything but there's nothing wrong with not knowing any everything at all there's nothing wrong with that and I think that's where and you know if a child is trying to outsmart you you've got a smart kid on your hand so embrace it like try try and you know be one step ahead of them in the sense of before they can try and outsmart you put them in charge of doing something let them deliver some make them because sometimes I think when a child tries to outsmart you there's something more going on with that child there's something you might have said something throw away that has really bothered them and so they need to feel better about themselves they may have had a grind to gear from previous years of maybe this has and you know or, or the lesson before and I just think that a lot of the time when a child 
does try to outsmart you. It's not as personal as we may think it is. It just, unfortunately, you might be that target at that moment. So, you know, conversations with them, not why are you trying to outsmart me, but, you know, what do you love about my lesson? What's your favourite thing about my lesson? How can I make, you know, would you, I really need you, I, I need to introduce this topic to the class next week. Could you do it for me? Because I feel like, you know, I feel like you've got a passion for this, which is, you know, I know, I know a bit, but I feel like, you know, more like, can I use that? And I think that that human element of, you know, we as teachers, our job is to know, we're almost meant to be jack of all trades when it comes to topics in a weird way. We need to know everything on a wide variety of subjects that doesn't mean that a pupil might not have maybe once in their year four topic lessons, that might be the topic they picked. And so they really do know everything on it. So it might come across as outsmarting and arrogant and things like that. But actually, they're just buzzing that this topic, you know, all that effort that they put in those years ago is finally coming back for them. So I think it's it's um, when it comes to outsmarting, it starts with parking our egos at the door and trying to unpick a bit more about what is really what is really going on in that situation because it's not necessarily as deep as we may feel it but everything's always amplified when there's 29 other think people in the room so it does feel like they're trying to make you look silly in front of this when really they might just be so excited that this is the first time they know the answer and in years so yeah I love some of those things about flipping it around and, and letting the letting the student maybe take a little part for you, get your feet up and have a have a cup of tea. But I love that. But you mentioned it about parking our egos at the door. You know, there's going to be children that that want to want to excel in your in your subject or in certain topics in your subject. So we're there to to allow them to do that and, and support them on that. So wonderful, wonderful ones. We're not going to change gears a little bit, Nikki, and talk about um, uh, things from the teacher's point of view. So um, observations um, can be an intense and nervy experience for early career teachers and all teachers. You know, I, I still get a little bit touchy when I, when I, when I know the head teacher's coming <laughs> in, but who doesn't? Um, so what plays in our playbook can we employ to, to master observations? I think uh, I once had a head of department that gave me this amazing advice where he was like I thought I'd done this amazing lesson and he was like you did too much you, you didn't let the kids be you didn't let the kids kind of let them do stuff because you try to control every element of that lesson and I think when it comes to observations it shouldn't be any different than your normal lesson it should be you know I I've definitely unfortunately been in car crash observations and I can tell it's the first time they've ever done this and I can tell it's the first time the kids have ever done this and no one knows quite what they're doing the timing's off it's not relevant they maybe just saw it on Twitter or Tez the night before or something like well the week before or something like that and I think that experimentation and teaching is so important but not when you might be in a high pressure situation I also think it's really so important to understand that um one person's treasure is another person's trash and vice versa vice versa so 
I'm not a textbook teacher. I can't, I'm, I don't teach out of textbooks. I, I've never, there's more chance of me copying what they need out of the textbook, putting it on a PowerPoint than there is of me handing out uh, a textbook. Mm-hmm. That's not to say that someone who is a textbook teacher, there's anything wrong with that or their style of teaching. Like just because they might use a visualizer or, you know, this, this is very much what they need for their lesson. Uh, I'm quite creative teacher who loves a project loves a thought process loves the the class you know thinking together coming up with concepts discussions and things like that that's not to say that a teacher that likes to say this is how we do this crack on that there's anything wrong with that because we've all got the same outcome the outcome is is that the pupils are learning progressing making rapid and sustained progress so I think what I would always say is to to do well in your observations you need to start taking them with a pinch of salt and make sure that your practice is exceptional year round and not just for 35 minutes because if you put the things in place to make sure that you are consistently delivering really good lessons your observation will be no different I think that's where people trip up because they put so much pressure on such a small a small finite period of time that you know, it, it, I guess it can, I took quite a lot of driving tests. I'm not going to tell you how many, but more than I care to admit. And my driving instructor could not understand why I couldn't pass my test because he was like, Nikki, when I drive with you, you're a very good driver. I don't understand it. The one situation in my life that I cannot, could not perform was, like, I have got a license, <laughs> was in that situation where there was someone sat next to me watching my every move. And when I passed my test was when I thought I'd failed it. I didn't care anymore and it just happened and I think that that's such a huge lesson because you know the scrutiny that comes from lesson observation makes you you know if you if I was in a lesson I gave the wrong fact out that's okay because I go ah got that wrong I didn't mean that hang on wait there guys let me just up it was this date sorry sorry for that would I feel as comfortable doing that in observe lesson personally now yes I probably would 10 years ago absolutely not I would die on the rock <laughs> I'd be like no the battle of Hastings happened in 1126 like I would double down on it and that's not helpful so I guess what I'm saying is is that a lesson observation is such a minuscule part of your teaching career and yet for some reason as teachers put a real, like you can ask a non-teaching person about lesson observation I bet you they'd know the importance of it I bet you they would know someone that'd be like, I can't tonight, mate. I've got less observation tomorrow, you know? So if we, and even, I don't know if you watch TikTok or Instagram or anything like that, there's uh, people that are taking the mick out of the teachers because they remember a certain teacher coming in with a pen and pencil and seeing the teachers act differently. And it's like, and I remember teachers acting differently. So we all know what a lesson observation is. So we need to start just going let's get practice right all the time and then this very small period of time won't have such an impact on people's mental health and how they feel about their practice and how they feel about their teaching I've seen training teachers spend an unhealthy amount of time on a lesson on Ofsted coming in and the inspector not go through their door Mm. In fact, I've seen I've seen seasoned teachers do that as well. Yeah, certainly the, the hours we spend worrying about those But I love what you said there about making sure that your practice is exceptional all year round. And if you do that, then 
someone coming in, it should just be what you're normally doing. It's been, it's interesting what you said about the students on, on TikTok and Instagram mentioned that the students notice. They do. So if you just do what you always do, they'll the students will just be who they always are. They don't they won't sit there like, what's Miss doing? <laughs> yeah, and do you know what? One of the first questions that people ask when they're observing you is, is this a normal lesson? So if if they ask you that and the kids go, nah, Miss is using the toilets for after lesson, you're done. You're done there. You, you, no matter what you're doing in that moment, because if if the and I will say this. I had a class save my observation once because this was a long time ago and it wasn't going very well. And um, I can't remember why it wasn't going. So I can't remember what happened. So it wasn't going well and I can't remember why. But anyway, the um, my head of department said to me afterwards, he goes, you know, so-and-so, which by the way was one of the naughtiest girls in the class, so-and-so saved your lesson observation. And I was like, how? They said, she said that I asked if this was a normal lesson. <laughs> she said, no, this is shit. They're usually way better. <laughs> <laughs> he was like, after I gave her a sanction for swearing. Uh, um, and that, and this is the thing, like, because I was consistently doing, and that, that was the, I'd done something different. And that's when I learned the lesson, don't do something new in a lesson observation. This was probably three years into teaching, but I was established at this school. And um, and, and I laughed to myself because she's she's uh, she was a hard nut to, to crack. And I was like, she's right. It, this was shit. And that usually is, that's not what I usually do. So, you know, the second that the observer goes, is this normal? And the kids, the kids, the kids will save or or kill your lesson anyway so you may as well make sure it is your normal <laughs> absolutely absolutely such a great and um, great anecdote there and lovely lovely words from the, from the <laughs> student there to, to to recognize that but it is so important we do often tie ourselves in knots around observation so it's important that we just get get the routines get the consistency and just teach really good lessons all the time and it brings us smoothly on to the the next question i've got for you because we often think we've planned a brilliant lesson. I know that I've certainly thought that a fair few times. You've spent a bit of time, you've planned the lesson. How do we handle it when it begins to go wrong? I think this comes with time as a teacher because I will abandon a lesson and, and do something different. If it's not working, I will, I, I will go, right, guys, I, but then I'll have a lesson in the back of my mind anyway this is why when I work with um new teachers I often say you know you don't need to plan two lessons whenever you do a lesson but maybe just have an idea of if it's not working what you can do in place of like I'm not expecting you to because that's that's a ridiculous amount of work but it's the ability to know when to stop flogging the horse (laughs) you know the, the horse is dead let it let it die you know and just move on and I think um, there's nothing wrong with, as I've said, trying new things, being experimental, because especially if you've taught a topic several years running and you're trying to keep it fresh for yourself sometimes. Um, but knowing that, and it's an ego thing as well, because I think sometimes people plow on, it's like, no, I, I, I spent way too much time doing this. This is a good lesson. Like the problem's them, not me. And it's like, well, you you need to remember that sometimes a lesson 
might not work for one class, but it could work for another. Mm-hmm. So there's nothing wrong with, you know, parking it and trying it again. And if it goes wrong twice, I'd maybe think that oh, maybe it's not, <laughs> it's not, it's not the lesson you think it was actually at the end of the day. Um, but it's just, it's just being able to get to a place where you feel confident to say, I don't think you're getting it this way, guys. I'm just going to switch it up a little bit. Um, Cause that can save you from, you know, at primary a whole day of things feeling like it's going a bit out of control or <laughs> secondary, you know, sometimes 55 minutes can be the longest 55 minutes of your life. And then you realize it's actually a double lesson. Oh my God, I've got them for two hours, two and a bit hours. Um, you, you being able to, just go, no, that's not working, move on. And you'll probably find that the pace comes back, the the, the lesson goes back to where you want it to. And you'll feel so much better than persevering with something that maybe didn't work on this occasion. Um, but yeah, I think that's that's the most important place to get to is to, to know that, uh, unfortunately, sometimes one size doesn't fit all. And knowing that you can, it, it's not a bad, it is not a bad thing to say, this isn't working. Um, I need to change this at all if anything i think it shows uh knowledge and growth when you can do that definitely when you can change gears and go and do something else and recognize but it was interesting i like what you said there about it might not have worked with that student you know it's interesting if you have always find it fascinating when you have two classes of the same age at the same level yeah what works for one doesn't work for the other and what work you know and vice versa it's really interesting how you have got to kind of do it a little bit differently but teach the same uh, knowledge if you like so and I bet you'll do that without even thinking these days I bet you will see two classes and be like I used to teach them how to do this well this class is going to do it this way and this class is going to do it that way well you've done exactly what I've kind of said but you will have done it without even mm-hmm. a second thought it's second nature and so it's about and also if you're new to a school even if you've been doing it for a long time it's about kind of knowing that maybe you might need a bit of a backup because you don't know what these how these kids learn properly or how they are going to engage with it and what might have worked at your last school probably won't work at this school. So, and yeah, it's the same topic. Mm-hmm. Certainly, thank you. I, I, so much, so much to take there, but especially that idea that being kind of comfortable with just accepting that's not working. We need to go <laughs> and do something else, but also having something else in your back pocket ready, ready to take out. Um, and it brings me on to asking you about rewards and sanctions because rewards and sanctions are, are, are probably used in every school and probably quite differently in every school. So what plays for the playbook can you give us to make these meaningful and useful when managing behaviour? I think it's really important to know your, know your demographic to, to start with because, you know, what um, what might have been interesting to say my rural school talking, you know, when Six Nations was on and, and being able to talk about, you know, maybe we can go to Twickenham absolutely would not have worked for my inner city, um, you know, grime lovers. No, we're not going to Twickenham Miss. That, that's not for me, to be honest. <laughs> Get me in a booth. That's what I want. And so I, it, once you understand the kind of demographic that you're you're working with you kind of can understand what they will respond to what they will um, react to what they will um, thrive with what will actually work with them so um, that kind of and and that will also with the ethos of your school 
and what they're kind of maybe used to, even with their feeder schools or, you know, at that primary lesson from the nursery and things like that. I think what's kind of important is that, again, not one size fits all. You will figure out what works. And if like nothing else fails, I, I always say stickers work. Like no matter what age, I'm telling you, sixth formers love a sticker. Um, but it's 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 about that kind of, that real understanding and taking that time to figure out what works for your school and what works for your pupils and that even throughout the year groups what works for them you know and I guess back to what we kind of said about how even two classes are you know you could probably talk very sternly to one class and it would get them where you wanted to and do the exact same thing to another and they just tell you to get lost you know so it's about working with what you have and understanding and you know talking to heads of departments talking to head of years and and talking to other people that have teachers that have taught those classes to see what works with them so I think it's really important that and I believe I very much believe that you need to work to your school's behavior management policy but your classroom is your your forte. Your classroom is your is yours. You need to have sanctions and reward within your own space because mm-hmm. everything needs to be a, kind of a tiered approach. I need to make sure I've exhausted everything in my classroom before I even go to get help from someone else. Because if I'm going to my head of department because someone keeps shouting out, I'm losing all of the authority. Before, mm-hmm straight away so for you to have your own and I you know I've done it with some classes or I know people you know maybe at the start of the year you you say like these are our classroom rules what what are we working with this is what I expect these are the school rules so you know almost I'm almost if if there's a you know c1 c2 w1 w2 kind of thing where the warnings I'm almost doing my level of intervention I'm almost doing a minus one before I even get to the school's level, because I want to make sure that they can see that by the time I've got to this level, you've really pushed it. And that that's the severity of what's kind of getting involved there. So I think it's really important for you to know what sanctions and rewards you want in your lesson. And also that you're going to follow through with them because nothing worse than someone saying, I'm going to do this and they don't or saying, I've got this reward for you. And they never, it never materializes. Um, And and the concept that rewards aren't always um, sometimes rewards are intrinsic. I think that's really important that um, sometimes we think in order to reward a child, it has to be a real clear, I don't know, gift's not the right word, but you know, something they can mm-hmm. have. Tangible you know, yeah. Tan- yeah. Something tangible that they can have. And sometimes it, it can be that feeling of I feel really proud that Miss asked me to do this today or I came into the classroom and my work was displayed on the wall and that's my work and I'm so proud of my work and it's I think that's when you start looking beyond what rewards look like you're you can see that you probably won't have to use so many sanctions if the the positivity in your classroom it is very clear and and very attainable Mm-hmm. I think that's what I'm saying, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Owning your own space. I like what you said there about um, going to your head of department 
and you're losing control. So it's about making sure that you're own, in your own space here and you've got the rewards and sanctions right and f- following the school behaviour policy. But in chapter nine, you, you write about what if the, if the school's behaviour policy is difficult to follow. How can you overcome that? I think that's a really interesting one because I have been looking to go in a lot of schools uh, from working, but also sometimes in my job. And I do sometimes believe that it is possible for the behaviour policy not to marry up to your beliefs in what you see can can or should work. And I think that's a really difficult conversation. Um, and I think what's really important is that if you don't feel like you can follow the behaviour management policy, I think the question is why and what is it about it that you can't follow? Um, and I, I kind of always recommend, you know, trying to be a part, if there's behaviour behavior steering groups, like be a part of those. Um, your leadership team are there to be challenged, not in a kind of, you know, awful way, but in a kind of like, actually, you can't be progressive if you're not asking questions. I don't think, because if, if you're not asking questions, if you're not saying, you know, why are we doing this? Is this the best way forward? You kind of become a bit of an echo chamber. And sometimes you don't realise you're not making the right calls until someone else comes in and goes, why are you doing this this way? This is because you're all in this, you're all in the same place doing the same thing. So it's, you're always going to think it's working. It might not necessarily be working. So, and, and ultimately, I, I, have seen on a few occasions people that have left teaching because they think that that's what behavior is and I always say that sometimes the school may not be the right fit for you and you so I sometimes see it in Twitter especially in September when people go oh my god this school is so different than my last school not slating my last school but I'm so comfortable here and it's because they found their fit mm-hmm. and I think that's what's very important I know that I personally would struggle to work in a completely zero tolerant tolerant situation that's that's me um but i also would struggle to work in one a, a situation that had no behavior policy at all because that also you know i'm not that way inclined but i would definitely if i was in a zero tolerant school I, i'd have to be like okay cool i'm here so i've got to do that and that's what's important you can't be the person that's not doing it because then you're the one that's creating the behavior problem. So if you don't believe in that ethos, is that the right school for you? I think that's the important question that people need to be asking. It doesn't mean you have to leave the profession. It it means you need to find something that marries up to you. But whilst you're in that school, you better follow that policy because that's not fair on your colleagues. That's not fair on the parents who have sent their children to a place because they expect it. It's not fair on the pupils that need those boundaries put on place in place. It's just not fair. So I believe that wherever you are, you need to find a way to follow that policy. If not work to make it work. If you can't do that, then find the place that makes it right for you. Certainly, I love that about finding your fit, but also if you're in a, a working in a place, follow that policy. Because if you're the teacher that doesn't, you're letting your colleagues down. Such an uh, such an important important point. So thanks for bringing that. And it brings us. We're getting towards the end of of, of um, our interview here. I've got a couple more questions for you. And and in chapter ten, you tackle a really interesting concept. And chapter ten is titled "So you think ladies can't manage behaviour as well as men?" So so what does the the research say, and what can have an impact on females in the classroom? So I was 
really interesting. So I did quite a lot of research for this book and I found this chapter the hardest to research um, because there just wasn't that much out there. And the reason that it kind of even was a thought process to me was many moons ago, I worked in a school where the culture of the boys they found it very difficult to respect female members of staff. And that was because of the culture that they had come from. So even things like if you were calling home to make a, to to say so-and-so probably wasn't very well behaved today. If you got in church and it was a, a dad or an uncle that answered, it could be a very disrespectful conversation because in their mind, their son or nephew was actually above you because they were male. And it was this really interesting kind of losing battle to to begin with. And, it, you know, we had to do some work on um, working with those children to help them see that actually, you know, we are equal and and we deserve the respect just as much as the others. But then there were, I remember a time as well, this made me think about it, well, uh, working with some trainee teachers and, sorry, no, there were NQTs. One very tall, very uh, prominent trainee teacher, male, was like, well, they behave for me. And like, you know, I was like, well, they behave for me, but that's not, they behave for you because they automatically seem to have respect because you look like a very scary rugby player as opposed to so-and-so who looks very small and they probably think they could throw her over the table because they probably could. It's very different. When so-and-so shouts, unfortunately, her voice gets pitchy. So firstly we know that teenagers probably don't do well with shrill noises anyway but if you've got bass in your voice you've actually automatically got a bit of a advantage and one of the um one of the things that did come up when I was looking at it was the concept that I want to get this quote right because I always found it interesting so uh, Martin Yin and Mail in 2007 they found that there wasn't much of a difference between um the classroom management approaches but the males tended to have a more intrusive directing and controlling uh tone when they worked so it looked like it was much easier to be deemed intrusive and controlling so the classroom presence immediately allowed them to to, to dictate the mood of the class so if it kind of bringing that to a different level, if you are someone who, if you're a child in a class who automatically feels like someone's going to be quite controlling of the situation, you might want to avoid that. Or if you don't want your personal space taken over or feel that you're being in, intruded on, you're going to do what you can to avoid it. But if you're in a situation where you don't feel, and I, I don't feel like males are a threat, but there is a different level of talking to a male member of staff and talking to a female member of staff sometimes. And 
I used to work with some of the female trainees and I used to talk to them about pack mentality and letting them realize that they are the alpha males in the classroom. And I work in a pupil referral unit where I do get very, um, it's very important to, for some male pupils to feel that they're in charge. And that's usually because they've lost some control in their own personal life. So, you know, it, it, it's very much a, uh who can pee higher than who can sometimes mm-hmm. and the running joke is that miss cs is the alpha male because i tell them that i'll say i'm the alpha i'm the alpha in this classroom and i think there's so much i could literally talk on this i don't even say it in the book i could talk i could have talked spoken about this for forever because i think that sometimes there is when I when I when I speak to some male members of staff about this and put it to a different point of view, the overwhelming response is I never thought about it from that perspective, and that's why it was so important for me to even say this. So if you're, I've been there where you're now analyzing data of of um, behavior hotspots. Why is there a hotspot in this department at this time of day? Very rarely is it that maybe it's because in this very female dominated environment, the head of department is female and no one's respecting the, you know, it, it's, it looks upon the people rather than what is the culture within our school? What are we, what are we teaching? And you know what, now more than ever in, in the, in the time that we are living in at the moment about, you know, masculine toxicity, toxicity and all now more than ever we need to be working with our kids to make sure that we're not saying that the problem is the women uh or anything like that it's it's such a as I said I could I could go on about this for for a long time because I feel so passionately about this understanding that it might just be a little bit more difficult for um for certain demographics to get what they want out there than it is for for others and I think understanding that will be very helpful kind of going forward sorry my cat just came in and started eating really noisily that was me (laughs) yeah so I can use crunch on its blooming whiskers sorry (laughs) that's okay no certainly it's it's certainly important that we get the the culture right one one of my early episodes in the podcast was was a retired police officer and he works a lot with with boys and young men about masculinity and what it means to be a man. And, and he talks about being gentle and strong and how you can actually merge the two. And it's it, it, kind of, I thought of that as you were, as, as you were speaking there, it's, it's really interesting topics to have. And, and kind of, it was interesting you mentioned there about kind of, so maybe men are more directive and, and their approach to classroom management and compared to females. And it's, it's really interesting to, compare contrast and which classrooms are are um better for our young people not, not better is probably the wrong word but um, well, yeah no different. I know what you mean and you know an interest my husband is six foot seven and once he came into um my school to pick me up and all of the lads were like oh next day oh your your husband and knock us out miss and I was like your problem's not him I promise you out of me and me and him he's the gentlest giant honestly like on and and I thought how crazy is that just by looking at him just by you know he's tall he's got a beard he's got a gruff voice you made the assumption 
that he would be a threat to you when realistically it's the short one next to him that you need to have a look at and I and I and I, we spoke we had uh, we kind of through the lesson now and had this little PSHE discussion about why did you think that he would be more of someone you'd need to be respectful of why did I have to work so hard to earn your respect? Whereas you saw him and within 30 seconds, he had your respect. Why is that? And it was such a brilliant discussion because, you know, I say these some lads that have been permanently excluded and we really started talking about, you know, how maybe you were getting into trouble because um, if... Uh, a, a, a female teacher could feel intimidated if they're trying to tell you off and and they are standing over the you know towering over you and you know one thing I will share about when I was doing this research which just blew my mind I was I asked people about um you know behavior management advice and stuff that was given to them and I had so many responses from women where they'd been told to wear certain things don't wear red lipstick, wear heels, don't dress like this, dress like this. I'm like, I haven't heard a single male be told, make sure you wear a waistcoat, put lifts in your shoes so that you're taller, make sure that you will have a beard so that they respect you more. None of that, absolutely not a single response even went there for the males. So I kind of was like, well, why before a female even gets up in the morning, they need to consider their appearance in order to apparently control the classroom. Whereas a male could probably come in in whatever they want. And it's not, and I bet, I wonder if that's maybe opened your thoughts to think about even from your perspective, like that's such a different world kind of. Mm -hmm. And I think just by putting it out there, the reason that chapter's there is in case there is, a, a female they're going Phil this is I feel like it's this and going, yeah do you know what I hear you it's fine mm-hmm. or if there's a male who's going I'm really sick of this, this teacher she's just not getting it and maybe they might go oh I didn't even go there my brain didn't even go there didn't even go to that perspective actually maybe the bigger picture is working with our kids rather than you know so yeah it's an interesting one I wish it was there was a surprising it was the only chapter that I struggled to find journals and and people to there's so much anecdotal things but it was it was just so interesting so even the uh, the research I gave you that was through 2007 yeah no, it's Quite interesting the, the story you said about like if, I mean I'm a PE teacher I wear shorts and t-shirts to work and don't need to worry but you know I, I totally totally understand that point the the difference and now my um my good lady's a, a dentist and she gets up at seven o'clock in the morning to make sure she looks she looks great anyway but make sure she looks, <laughs> <laughs> looks good for the things it's a really interesting one and it's a conversation that definitely needs to to be kept kept had especially in today's society and, and culture especially so thanks so much for bringing that up bringing that to the table in your book and also sharing that on the podcast so i'd like to close off the the interview section before i move into a wee quick fire round with you nikki if i may is to ask you how important is it that we learn to laugh at ourselves oh so important like (laughs) 
Uh, even tonight, there's been stories I forgot about that came to the front of my mind. And I'm so glad that I can laugh at so many of them or else I'd be mortified. (laughs) (laughs) Or else I'd just be mortified at a year nine girl telling me that my lesson was, yeah. (laughs) You know, if we, if we, life is hard enough, as we've just come out of a pandemic, we're not, we have not come out of a pandemic. We're still very much in it. <laughs> we are very much still in the pandemic. Um, we're out of a lockdown situation. Search. And life is hard enough without beating ourselves up on a daily basis. And I think if we can learn to laugh at the situation that should be laughed at, things might not get so big and, and feel quite so out of control. Um, and, you know, laughing's good. Laughing is laughing is actually good. Like we, my household, we laugh a lot. Things go wrong a lot, and we laugh a lot. And I hope my daughters grow up being able to feel comfortable in admitting where they go wrong, but also be able to laugh and just kind of go, "Well, they're not do that again." Type <laughs> <laughs> situation. What a great way to react to things, and what a great way to, to close that interview. So, but before we move on to the the quick first section, can I please ask you to share where? listeners can buy feel free to smile uh, and how they can carry on the conversation and, and contact you on on social media and the like so uh it's available in all retailers you can go from amazon to debate smith bloomsbury this where it's published so um yeah you can grab it online um or order it in a bookshop go to an independent bookshop and ask for it you can order it and get it in let's let's support those old indies um just as much as the the big conglomerates or whatever. I don't know if that's the right word, but anyway. Um, <laughs> on socials, I am on Twitter and I always forget my, <laughs> I'm the worst for my own because my email address is very much different to my Twitter, but I think it is, uh, let me just, ah, it is at underscore Mrs. C underscore S on Twitter. Um and my website, which if you ever want to have a browse around, is mrsc-s.wixsite.com forward slash my site. Uh, but if I'm on Twitter, I'm a very open person on there. So please, like, happily uh, shoot the... I was about to swear again. I shouldn't be swearing. I'm a... <laughs> Don't worry at all. <laughs> spend all day with little kids where I have to keep holding back (laughs) all out in the evening (laughs) (laughs) definitely definitely well thank you so much for that we're now going to go on to my quick first section I've got three questions for you are you up for it yes let's do it so question number one what are you reading currently how to kill your family by Bella Mackey (laughs) 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 <laughs> it's a it's uh I've, I've honestly i've just i've just finished listening to it i so i don't read i listen i don't have oh, I, I haven't got i'm an audio i love an audiobook um but i i don't have the physical time to read physical copies but whenever i'm driving i've always got an audiobook i love autobiographies and uh so this this isn't an autobiography by the way it's a, a thriller book and it's very good it's very funny and it's very dark at times as well. Um, so yeah, that's the one I'm reading at the moment. Thank you so much, Mark. Second question to you is what is your current professional development focus? 
Um, it is about regaining uh, lost learning after the pandemic. Um, and what is the best way to do it? Because there's a lot of a lot of opinions. And I'm not sure. I'm not sure we've quite hit on it yet. Certainly, when you find the answer to that, please share it with us. I was going to say, if I, if I find the answer, I'll, I'll definitely share it. Thank you. My final question is, what do you love most about being a teacher? The stories that I get from being in the classroom. The, the stories that the kids tell me, the stories that the staff tell me, the stories I create myself. One day, I, I hope I'm really old and I'm sharing those stories with, a generation to pass down because they say don't work with kids or animals but my god like kids are just so good to I, I can't think of any of a career that you could get the real raw essence of children like yeah that sounds like a weird sentence but I, just <laughs> I know what you mean sounds like I tried to make a pot and and a potion out of them I I love I just love the stories that come from it and I and I bet anyone especially after reading the book I bet anyone will go away and they'll be able to pick up 10 stories of things that go oh my god and then the, and then this and then you know I just that's my favorite part Certainly. Thanks so much for sharing that and brings us to the end. So thank you so much for coming on to Becoming Educating and sharing your, your stories with us. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's been fun. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this episode of Becoming Educated. As ever, I would be delighted to hear your thoughts and you can contact me via Twitter at DNLeslie or via email. So that you don't miss out, I urge you to subscribe to the podcast. And while I have your attention, why not submit a review of the podcast wherever you get yours from so that many, many others can access Becoming Educated. I'll be back next week with another episode of Becoming Educated and I do hope to see you there.